0: Tassa, Bhagavato Arahato, Sama, Sambudasa Namo Tassa, Bhagavato Arahato, Sama, Sambudasa Namo Tassa, Bhagavato Arahato, Sama, Sambudasa My dama friends. This evening, I'm going to talk about turning the five hindrances into wisdom. Before we get rid of them, we need to recycle them uh, and get some nuggets of wisdom. There's always a tendency to get it out of the way. Don't come to me. (laughs) Stay there. But here, we want to use another approach whereby we can recycle them. I got this recycling idea when I was in a monastery in West Virginia, and I will tell you about it. So I don't know if you're familiar with the five hindrances. (laughs) So if you're experiencing five hindrances, uh, like sensual desires, ill will, that means your will is ill. sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry and doubt, if you are experiencing them or you are planning to experience them, (laughs) this is a good talk for you. All of us, I think, we have experienced them. Sometime one of them, sometime all of them. Uh, It's called multi-hindrance attack. So one time I was in West Virginia uh, training as a monk for eight years. Uh, Bavana Society is in West Virginia and uh, a lot of snow. Before winter came, all people used to take water in our kutis where we stayed because they were not heated by electricity. It's only wooden wo- uh, wood. We, we heat our kutis with wood. So I saw monks always carrying water to their kutis to put in a basin so that they can have some kind of humidity going on. Because during night it can be so dry. So we needed water. So they used to take water from the meditation hall and carry it to the kutis. I did the same thing. One, one time it snowed. Snow was up to my knees here. And I had to pave my way to my kutis. A lot of work until I went to my kuti and I put some water in the basin. But one time I say, "Why do I have to carry water like other monks? Why don't I shovel all the snow on my path and just put it in a the basin there and put it on the stove?" It, I did it, and it melted, and I said, "Wow, <laughs> this is the hindrance of snow. I can always use it as water." It's amazing. One monk has, had stayed for 26 years there. Every time I saw him carrying water, I stopped carrying water. <laughs> so I was using my hindrances to do something else for the benefit, to my advantage. You know? So this is what you're going to hear, part of my talk, really to see whether we can navigate around these hindrances and use it uh, for our advantage, to get wisdom. But before we find some methods and uh, techniques, I would like you to get familiar with these kind of hindrances. If you, in a case you are not familiar with them. Uh, one of them, at least in my experience, is reading the bulletin board. You go there and read again and again. This is a simple schedule. It's not so complicated. But we go there again and again looking for anything new in the schedule. Of course, there might be actually new things. I don't want you to stop you from going there. <laughs> I put a caveat there. You go there, but really counts how many times you really go there, whether it's necessary or not. That's one way to note that there's something going on here. <laughs> Another one, looking at other yogis. Especially when there's part one and part two, we might always look, oh, now the new arrivals. Uh, well, we are going to meditate together, and then at the end of the retreat, we are going to start a meditation center <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in Texas, uh, somewhere. So we desire to practice dharma, but also we desire to connect. Uh, and then uh, this is kind of good to start a meditation center, actually. But whom we are going to start with the center? You don't know them, you know. So then we kind of have desire to connect at the end of the retreat. But you cannot connect now. You have to wait until the retreat ends. So all the time you have desire, when is the retreat is going to end? So mm-hmm. that I connect with this person. you know, you get, ch- get a chance to connect. But if that's a desire you have, maybe you want to use Joseph's ma- mantra, which said, not now. That's what he, he told us. If something comes and you can't do it now, you just say, not now. So in other words, you wait until the retreat ends. Others desire for mind states. Hmm? Desire for wholesome mind states. He's, you're meditating and say, wow, I wish i get peaceful and calm like the other yogi. You don't know what's going on next door. <laughs> you don't know. We have no clue actually going, what's going on. I remember I was in Burma. Uh, for two months in 2004, I think there was this yogi sitting for four hours. There's then lay person sitting for three hours. But every time we entered the meditation hall, like at at 3 a.m., that's where we have to, when we have to go to the meditation hall is 3 a.m. In case you're wondering what's going on here. So 3 a.m. you wake up and you have to go to the meditation hall, and I used to find a yogi there sitting, and then I had desire to know when this yogi actually enters the meditation hall. It occupied me all the time, (laughs) and even when I I adjusted my time to 2:30 a.m., this yogi was sitting there, and I'm a monk. (laughs) I traveled from USA to go to meditate and to get enlightened with this kind of teacher called Sado Pandita and I was struggling a lot with time difference, you know. This guy was from Canada, I got to know he's from Canada and he was, I think, a psychotherapist. He was really having a lot of energy, you know. Finally, I went at two and I found he was not there. (laughs) I figured out. (laughs) But up to now, I ask myself, what, why, what was, uh, what was my aim? I can't even find it. <laughs> it's desire, desire to know, desire to look, and food. You can go through the list of your desire here. Mm-hmm. Especially here at IMS, the list what you're gonna have, what you're gonna, what you're going to, to have for lunch. They list it there. Then the day when there's lasagna, ah yes or pizza, whatever you want. So it's really interesting to really look at what's going on <laughs> in your mind, you know. You can add on a list of wanting, wanting this and wanting that. So how we recycle them? How we, are we going to get wisdom? Again, we are going to use this, the discourse, the fourth foundation of mindfulness. It's the one of the, the foundation, the fourth foundation of mindfulness. The Buddha talks about how to work with the five hindrances. The first one is to know the presence, being mindful of the presence and absence of the hindrance, let's say sense desires. So when it's present, you get to know this before you're hijacked. (laughs) So you get to know "Mm, sense desires are present. Actually, the word, Pali word for sense desire is called kamachanda. And the word chanda there is very interesting. It means approval. So in other words, we approve our sense world. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing, hearing, we get attached to. Uh, sounds, beautiful sounds, good tastes and all that. We get attached to them. So knowing that it's present in your mind is very, very important so that we don't struggle so much. And that knowing, it's very important that we start to know how does it feel in my body. Sometimes, when sense desire arises, the body becomes tensed. The tension in the body. Sometimes, uh, breath you breathe very fast. The heart rate increases. How does it feel in the body? How does it feel in the mind? The mind also gets some kind of tension and we get that t- tension in the body and mind, it's very interesting even when we get the, the the real object, it's a release of that tension which was not there in the first place. In other words, the arising of the sense of desire brings the tension and once we get the object, then the tension goes and we feel that okay, it's the object that's going to always fulfill our our life. But it's actually not true. <laughs> Yes, so uh, it's very, very important to really get to know that. So the practice is maybe a soft mental not Desire, desire, desire. And then you see how it feels. If it's so strong, maybe you want to come back to the body and be mindful of the body sitting here and then go back when desires is arising. Knowing the absence of desire is also very important because sometimes we, we are not a bunch of desires all the time. Sometimes there's a break. There's a break in our desires. Then also it's it's very important to note that, oh, desire is absent. And that knowing, the Buddha said that if we get to know the absence of of, uh, hindrance, it brings gladness. Those are wholesome states of mind. Oh, wow, the practice works. Mindfulness works. Finally, like, figured out how to overcome sense of desire. So, with the absence, then we look at uh, other mind states of renunciation, of letting go. That's why it's absent. We look at other mind states that arises that sense of calmness and uh, peace or tranquil. Then happiness can arise, and all the way even concentration. The second way to deal with this, uh, this, uh, again, with some sense desires is what's our attitude? What's our, I think somebody, one of the teachers talked about our relationship with what's happening. It's very, very important to develop a very, very good relationship. Uh, What I would say, proper attitude. So in, in other words, don't push it away. Don't ignore it. Don't indulge in it. But having the attitude of investigating when he was talking about Dhamma Vichaya, uh really to investigate, understand, understand this is desire. So this understanding is very important. It's like my teacher talked about paying mindfulness and efforts to understand desire. So this understanding will bring you then to conditions. What are the conditions for that mental state to arise? All this is wisdom, actually. We are with the wisdom partner. So with this understanding, we are going to see, oh, these are the conditions under which uh, since desire, uh, that desire arise. The Buddha uh, singled out was attention to the, to the mark or the sign of uh, beauty, attraction. That's how it arises. Even if it hasn't arisen, if we are not mindful enough, Sense of desire is going to arise. And how you're going to remove it is through wise attention to an attraction, mm-hmm. uh, some attr- an attraction aspects of that experience, of that object. And of course, Buddha continued on saying that if you want sense of desires not to arise in the future, you have to reach the third level of enlightenment. Before that, you just take it (laughs) with mindfulness. (laughs) So don't beat up yourself. If you have not reached the third level of enlightenment, we still have a long way to go. But this does not discourage you. Uh, You can work slowly by slowly and get a lot of wisdom along the way before you reach the third level of enlightenment. Oh, continuing with wisdom, then we have to know also the universal characteristics of this sense of desire. It displays some of the universal characteristics like impermanence. It's changing all the time, it's not fixed. Sense of desire is changing all the time. So, can you tune in and find out how it's changing from time to time? and how unsatisfactory it is, and also its uh, what you call selfless nature, its uh, impersonal nature. So these are called the three characteristics of existence, or insights. And it is, it's a something we are doing when we are becoming mindful of the breath. We need also to get those insights. So if there's a hindrance now arising, again, you can try to meditate like this. Then you can get wisdom. And of course, the Buddha telling us not to cling on. Not clinging on to anything in this world. What's this world Buddha's talking about? These sense, six senses, or the five aggregates of clinging. So the Buddha telling us don't cling on to them. Sense desire is part of the fourth aggregate, mm, mental formation. So don't cling on to this world. In other words, don't have copyrights. <laughs> Most people say, I, this is my desire. They identify with the mental state desire. Of course, once you've got the wisdom, then you can go on to really other techniques that can help you to or pause, desire, like moderation in food. Uh, When you eat less and less food, then you're cutting down your desires. Mm -hmm. Uh, Others is to look at the object in terms of uh, different parts, individual parts. Let's say the hair. You just look at the single hair. If you're attracted to your hair or somebody's hairs, you look at only one of them. Teeth. You look only one teeth. <laughs> Not all of them, as I said. You just look at one of them and then find out how it goes. Let's go to the second one. They don't, by the way, they don't come in that order, just in case. <laughs> they don't come in the order that I'm listing them here. I just make, I'm just making it easier for me. But they can come in a particular order. Let us go for um, what? Aversion. Ill will. Meaning that your will is ill. It's very common. To give you some types of uh, ill will, is less pain. When pain is around, I'm telling you, nobody likes to have pain. Everybody wants to get rid of pain. Another time is uh, when we have ill will, is even if we can have ill will towards meta practice. I don't like meta. Most people, they don't like meta. Meta practice? No, no, no. I'd rather do vipassana meditation, but meta... Is not my cup of tea. And yet, (laughs) that's the antidote to ill will because it's called goodwill but still people hate it. (laughs) Another one. Uh, If a teacher gives a Dhamma talk about anger and you don't have anger, some people, they say, I've never had any anger. But after listening to the talk about anger, I start seeing my anger. <laughs> Actually, it happened to me. I was teaching a three-month retreat, and uh, I had to go to Japan, so I, didn't, I was not there on a crossing day. So before I left, I gave a talk on how to overcome anger. I had there was a, a feedback that one yogi didn't like the talk, because... As I was talking about anger and how to overcome it, anger rose. <laughs> so I'm responsible. In other words, <laughs> it's amazing how people blame others. I accepted the blame actually. Uh, I say, okay, that's fine. This person didn't have anger before the talk. I'm responsible. Actually, it's amazing. This mind states uh, some of us, we can really think they never happen in our life, but they do. In 1999, as a yogi here, my job was to ring a bell, bell ringer. But that job was very challenging. Down there, it's called Bowling Alley, a very tiny spot. I don't know whether they modified it, but back then, it was a very tiny place to go. And then you find a slow-walking yogi, <laughs> almost <laughs> crowing, crawling, And you have to ring a bell. And that's the only pl- that was the only place to pass. You couldn't go another place. And this yogi was walking very slowly, slowly. And then the time is running out to ring the bell. I used to touch my heart. (laughs) You can't talk? Please, a little bit quick. (laughs) Go fast, please. Sometime I was like sweating. I was a yogi. Another job was wash, dishwashing, dishwashing. Back then again, it was a small place. They have modified a lot actually here. You wash dishes and then you bring them for yogis and then they run out. So you have to wash them very quickly and bring it because they have run out the plates, you know. And then you have some you hold them like this. They are hot in order to put them in a a rack. And then you meet another slow-walking yogi. (laughs) Good enough, I was told about elements. I would touch hot, hot plates like this. Hot, 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 hot. It's amazing what happens during the retreat. And the beauty of this retreat is that we have a lot of space and time to explore how we can gain wisdom, you know, when these hindrances arises. Again, it's the same template, the same template. Be aware when ill will is present. How does it feel in the body? You can feel the tightness, especially in the chest, uh, if it's pain, you <laughs> that's another thing, you know. Especially when pain arises. For me, it arose when there was a, a chair there and my cushion was here. So when pain came, I had, a, I had a lot of aversion. Then I would just keep on looking on the side. When am I going to go to that chair? <laughs> so I kept on saying, uh, let me continue on. Again, I said, ah, no, I've had enough. I go to the chair. But what I forgot, that I was carried cultivating three mental states in a short time like that. I had aversion towards my pain and the posture. I had desire for the new seat and I had delusion. I was totally deluded. Think that when I sit in a chair I'm going to gain everlasting happiness. <laughs> but actually pain is there but it's not obvious in a new posture. When you go to a new posture Actually, pain is there, but it's just not obvious. It's not obvious. Wait until there's imbalances in the four elements, you know. <laughs> when there's imbalances, you know, a hardness have an upper, uh, like when you feel so hard and heaviness and hotness, wow, that start raging, and then even a good seat in a chair, you'll have pain if there's such, a, such an imbalance, you know. So, either way, you have to work with pain, whether you're seated on a cushion or chair, you have to work with it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, absence, when ill will is absent, what's present? is meta, loving kindness. So, be mindful when meta is arising, loving kindness, even compassion again the same thing developing a proper attitude not push it away not fight it just to be understand what oh this is anger rising so try to understand it and now try to find the conditions for its arising how does anger rise? how does it arise according to the buddha is paying and wise attention to the theme or to the mark of irritation. When you feel uh, like there's some kind of irritation, then st- anger start arising slowly by slowly. A little bit of annoyance, a little bit of uh, frustration, and actually, in many ways, um, ill will is more of a frus- frustrated desires. When your desires are frustrated, In other words, you don't get what you want. Then, aversion starts arising. And of course, the way to remove it is paying uh, wise attention to the theme of meta, loving kindness. The opposite of uh, ill will. Are you interested to know when to overcome anger? (laughs) Completely, and also, if you want to overcome anger completely, completely, at never rise in your mind, is when you attain the third level of anatomy. <laughs> Before that, work slowly and be patient. Don't beat up yourself that I'm a very angry yogi, you know. Everybody's meditating like this. Maybe they are enlightened, but for me, angers are rising. Oh, poor me, or, you know, oh, other people, maybe they have already overcome anger. It's me only left, you know. <laughs> we have no clue what's going on next, next yogi, you know. So, really, you, it's good to know these things, actually. The Buddha gave us this teaching to point that, okay, before we attain the sec- second level of enlightenment, we have to apply a lot of mindfulness, a lot of metta. We have to use this technique. So it's good to know so that you don't beat up yourself. Mm-hmm. So, But of course, as you reach first level of enlightenment, it's not the same anger we have as before. And even on a second level of anatomy, we attenuate it. We reduce it, actually, at the second level of anatomy. Third level, totally go out of your mind. Another hindrance, which is common. Oh, of course, there's a way how to directly counter anger. Of course, all these methods we talked about, seeing impermanence and satisfactory nat- unsatisfactory nature of anger, uh, the the selfless nature of anger, the same template. I may not have to repeat it so you know exactly what I'm talking about. All the hindrances have to go through all those five ways, uh, the, the, condition, the conditionality nature, the universal characteristics, and the non-cling to, to, to aversion uh, or ill will. So all this method you have to use if you got, you're going to turn anger or ill will into wisdom but there's a direct antidote to anger is called metta. If you have a person who have anger or ill will from time to time, the Buddha is recommending us to really practice metta from time to time. Metta is better, it's better with metta. Last time I talked about elements and you can use that one. Am I angry with earth elements or water elements? Oh, actually, you can use even the body itself. When you're angry at somebody, you say, am I angry at their hair? Am I angry at their nose? <laughs> am I angry at their mouth? Am I angry at a part of, any part of the body? Am I angry at their fingers? This is in a commentary, but I think it's very interesting. But the way it works is you have to know how the mind works. How the mind works is it can take one object at a time. Mind takes one object at a time. So once you direct your mind, we call it redirection method, you, re- you redirect your mind to something else, then the mind doesn't have any time or chance to think about anger. So it makes sense how you redirect your mind to something else like even asking yourself whether you're angry with the earth element of that person and you don't find it anyway. So actually that helps too. Um, It helps for anger to subside or it will. So another hindrance that uh, is very common in our experience is sloth and torpor sleepiness and dullness or sluggishness. I've never seen a sloth, but I I heard that in North America you have them. Who has ever seen a sloth? I'd love to say, oh, you have? Oh, great, that's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) But I've seen a slug in Africa. (laughs) I'm telling you, I don't know if in, in America you have slugs. I've never seen one. Do you have? Whoa. <laughs> Congealed. <laughs> slowly, slowly. I don't know how English, I love English, <laughs> how they came up with this word, a sluggishness of the mind. It looks like a slug. <laughs> you come here to meditate, especially morning instructions, and the guiding teacher sits here. The light is dim. <laughs> Sit comfortably. Feel at ease. Let go of the past and the future. Close your eyes. Ah, very peaceful. And then what? <laughs> 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 It's interesting. We give these invitations, but actually what we mean is you have to stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so soothing, you know. For me, every, I remember exactly during the three-month retreat, I used to come here so quiet, so peaceful, calm and calm and cozy here, especially the snow out, and inside it's so warm and nice. And here, the teachers say, settle back in the present moment. and you settle anyway but it's easy to drift off the key is really when you hear these instructions uh, for me what I used uh, even when they tell me to close my eyes I would make them half open because the instructions are so soothing and also depends who's giving those instructions the voice is so smooth you know Check it out, <laughs> check it out and see uh, uh, how sloth on topa is arising in your experience. But uh, most of the time, uh, sloth on topper comes from three places. One of them is really after meal, after eating, everybody, it doesn't matter, after eating, blood has to go to digest the food. Uh, down at the di- in the digestion. We need some kind of blood and the oxygen involved. And we have less here and more here. So then we feel very sluggish, you know. And we're still nodding after a meal, maybe 15 minutes. That's okay. But for me, normally for this kind of slots and topper, I go for a walk after 15, 15, 30 minutes of resting. I normally go for a walk. That helps to go for a walk. Another one is really uh, the body clock. All of us, we know. We are exhausted, you know. You sit here, you've been meditating for the whole day, and then it's at nine, time for chanting. Mm. (laughs) Maybe I need a little sleep and a little nap, you know. And that's how actually sloth and toper disguise itself. Sloth and topper can disguise itself as self-compassion. Come on. Be good to yourself. You listen to the chanting tomorrow, you know. And then you say, I'm going to sleep. This doesn't mean don't take care of yourself, by the way. you go and to take a nap. But it's amazing how the inner voice comes. Oh, come on. You need this. You need rest. You, got, you need a nap, you know, self-compassion with this kind of uh, mind state, uh, hindrance. So the mind, the body gets tired, so you can get so sleepy when the body is really tired. Another way uh, this hindrance arises, by the way, this one, even the Buddha had to sleep two hours. <laughs> so this is something that you have nothing to do but go and take a rest. But there's a hindrance. Sloth and top is a hindrance where you have to do something. This is sloth and top arising from the mind. The mind uh, really becoming so lazy. Uh, And normally this comes from imbalances uh, of energy and concentration. When you have less energy and uh, more concentration, so it's very common... Uh, to feel sloth and topper, so you need to boost up your energy. you need to boost your energy up. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that, again, it, it, it 's the same way. Uh, know the presence of sloth and topper. We want to get wisdom. I told you, we need to recycle this hindrance. And know how does it when you have sloth and topper, how does it feel in the mind? Sometimes the mind is so sluggish. How does it feel in the body? Sometimes you start doing like this. It's okay. It's okay. No, it's not. <laughs> you keep on doing like this, nodding off. No, it's not okay. <laughs> so you have to look at oh, the body is slouching now. Then the fogginess of the. Sometimes your eyes are foggy. So we get to know that. The absence of it also we get to know. We need to develop a proper attitude. I remember one time I was meditating at Forest Refugee. Saeedo Janaka was teaching a retreat. I think it was one month in 2004. Some I had a lot of sloth and trooper that I could not even identify where it was coming from. I really, really, and I was seeing all these peacocks, you know, I, I, those who have been to, a fo- to Forest Refuge, you can see s- through the window. And my the head was so heavy and I was just going like this. I did everything I could. I walked. I did everything. I'm telling you, this hindrance is very strong. No wonder to overcome sloth and torpor, you'll be very interested to know when you reach the fourth level of enlightenment. <laughs> the fourth level of enlightenment that's when you put aside this sloth and topper. Before that you have to use all the techniques that are even recycling it actually. Always recycle it, you know. Yeah. can you know the condition what the, the condition conditioning nature of this sloth and toper. What are the conditions? Maybe laziness, discontent, maybe lethargy, all this kind of thing you need to know the conditions for arising. And for the removal, you know that uh, you can be mindful of all these kind of things. But for total removal, is fourth level enlightenment. So now, when it comes, it's okay. It's okay. Then you become mindful. You know, whenever you nod off, don't beat yourself. You know, don't beat yourself up. M- most people really, uh, they, they really feel very bad about it. But uh, there's nothing to feel about. Don't feel so bad about this. Just know that, okay, it's time to recycle it. Reduce, reuse, and recycle. <laughs> so try to do this. Every time you know that's what I did during the, this retreat at Forest Refuge. I say, wow, okay, I'm being overpowered by this sloth on top, but let me get some nuggets of wisdom. And I, actually, when I, I got some wisdom, I said, yes, you are present, but yes, I'm wise now. I see. (laughs) I can know the impermanence nature. (laughs) The impermanence nature of it. I can know the self what you call unsatisfactory nature of this state of mind. Also, I know the impersonal nature. How is it impersonal? I did all the best. I could not overcome it. (laughs) It's outside my control. Hmm? So this is called anatta. Non-self. If there is a self, then I would say, yeah, no sleep. The whole retreat. By the those who believe in self, you can even check it if you have one. You just say, the entire three months, I'm not going to fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to do some experiment. All those people who believe that it is self, just do it. Start today. (laughs) May this retreat be awake. After all, the Buddha got awakened. That's all what we are doing, (laughs) is to reach awakening, isn't it? Why do we fall asleep? So anytime time you fall asleep, you tell yourself, no, don't. Then it will obey. <laughs> this self is going to, be, to, obey your, to obey your instructions. And then you will say, yes, there's a self going on here. Mm. So for me, I tried, I'm telling you, as a monk, I tried all the techniques. But still I was feeling heaviness of the head. And, until I say, oh, this is the teaching on anatta. Selfless nature. It's beyond my control. But I can be wise. Can I see? Can I do not uh, cling on to it? One thing that I found out which is very, very helpful when you have sloth and top after getting all those nuggets of wisdom then I found out increasing my noting, The way I use the mindfulness of breathing in, out, Breathing in and out. I found out when it was breathing in and out, breathing in out, breathing in out, breathing in out. (laughs) I really found out that the the mind get bored by just giving it only the this kind of object. I say, okay, how about increasing? Give my mind homework. Uh, Just become how you're sitting, touching. So it was breathing in. Breathing out, sitting, touching. So now the mind has four things to watch. It's amazing how the mind gets refreshed. And then you no longer have sloth and torpor, at least in that moment. (laughs) You can stand also. Stand up when sloth and torpor is arising. Then stand up. And if still you're sleeping while you're standing up, you go for a walk. You go and do a brisk walk, and then after that you do a normal walk. That will take care of slow Santopas. So many other methods, like pulling the ears, like this. Like the Buddha, but the Buddha was not pulling those ears. But by, by ears, by the way, don't get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> These are one of the 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 thirty-two characteristics of a great man, person, person. That's why you see the ears long. But they give some kind of methods of pulling your ears. I haven't tried it, actually, but I said it works. I was told that it works, pulling your ears. Uh, You try. (laughs) But for me, opening my eyes while I'm meditating, it helps. I open my eyes. Actually, Zen tradition, they do that. You face the wall and meditate when your eyes are open. Here, we try to ask you to close your eyes to just cut down the visual uh, objects around you. Somebody might put on a T-shirt, wow, I like it. I like this T-shirt. Uh, Where to get this peace for all, you know? Make America kind, uh, I mean, peaceful again or right. why. So, a lot of stuff. People have a lot of things written on their T-shirts, and if you just open your eyes, maybe it can take you your mind away and uh, so we tell you close your eyes but actually if you are uh, sloth and trouble, open them for a while open them for a while you can even roll them like roll them like this like this and now another thing is take a deep breath deep slow breath ah now just maybe three of them ah then blood circulation start continue and it keeps on circulating, and now you become refreshed. Do whatever it takes. Another hindrance is called restlessness and worry. That's a nagging hindrance. I don't know about you. Is it common in, in your experience? Wow, you are not alone. You feel like you are jumping out of your skin. Restlessness and worry is very, very common. This when we, especially for people who want to think like me, um, I like to think, you know, think and think and think. Uh, Restlessness comes to people who want to overthink. We think about this and that and that. But normally it comes when there's an imbalance of... uh, imbalance of also energy, when you have excess energy, the opposite of sloth and torpor. When you have excessive energy over concentration, restlessness can arise. And the, the direct antidote, uh, the, the, uh, the antidote there is to really lower down your energy. You remember I told you about these uh, objects, like if you're watching breathing in and out, breathing in and breathe out. Maybe you want to just drop the breathing out part. Of course, you, can't, you have to continue to breathe. <laughs> but I'm talking about mindfulness. You, you may want to cut down the in-breath and say, I'm just going to be mindful of the out-breath only. And you might want to really even st- uh, don't do the, the breathing in and out, mindfulness of breathing in and out, and you just drop all those things. You just become what you, you do, what you call choiceless awareness. That's where choiceless, choiceless awareness works very well. You are not choice, choosing, because choosing needs a lot of energy. You know that when you go to a supermarket, and you say, Well, this one I like milk, 50% fats, this and that. A lot of energy into choosing, you know. So here, you don't choose. Choiceless awareness. You just cruise there. You just become a receiver. You're just on a receiving end. Yeah. And then once it subsides you can always go back and choose. But of course uh, we need to get some nuggets of wisdom again. How do we get wisdom? Again knowing the presence. Uh, when the, the, the hindrance is present you become our oh, own. It's present. Let's say how the body feels. There's agitation sometime in the body, sometime here, in the shoulders, agitation everywhere, you become aware of that. Uh how does it feel in the mind? Of course you can feel the tension in the mind, also when there's agitation in the mind. And uh the absence also, because when it's present the the mind is unsettled, but when it's absent, the mind becomes settled. Mm? The mind becomes settled. It's amazing how we handle our mind. Uh, Ajahn Brahm one time used uh, a very good analogy, the way how we, hand, we handle our mind is like this, like this, you know, like this. Uh, then, uh, the mind is not settled. We are, in other words, we are applying a lot of effort to handle our mind. So, if we want to handle our mind, we just like this. Put down our mind. That's choicelessness awareness. Choiceless awareness, we just put the mind there and let it settle by itself. So, it's very, very important to handle our mind, not too tight. Not too loose and not too tight. But just handle it softly. Handle your mind Yes. But this, wow, I want to get enlightened today. <laughs> uh, I got the instruction to do it today. I have to get enlightened. And then we apply a lot of effort. A lot of effort. You'll be interested to know <laughs> when to overcome restlessness. <laughs> Maybe now you can guess now. When you reach the fourth level of enlightenment, <laughs> <laughs> that's called a fetter, which is the ignorance at the end and restlessness comes before that. You need to overcome that. At that time, there's no restlessness. Before that, let us get wiser. Let us get wisdom. In other words, our proper attitude, not pushing it away, not indulging in it, not uh, ignoring restlessness, but understanding. it with wisdom and mindfulness, we understand it. Get to know the conditions, how restlessness is arising. Maybe excessive energy, but the Buddha talked about unwise attention to the uh, unsettled mind. The mind is not settled. Once the mind is not settled, then we get restlessness. We have to remove it through trying to settle the mind. Let the mind settle. And uh, there's some other words, Really balancing energy and effort, but I already given you the breath. But you know, sometimes it's good to pick up an object which is not vipassana, uh, what called samatha objects. Samatha, that means tranquility meditation. Practice metta. When you practice metta, because it's more of a, a, an object that is going to bring you concentration and calmness and all that, so the mind's not agitated. So try to switch from Maybe vipassana. Vipassana also helps to get wisdom, but if it is not working, get change the object to what you call samatha object. And then, you, may I be well, happy, and peaceful. Maybe reflect on the qualities of the Buddha. And now, the mind will be calm and peaceful. That will balance the energy. So you can uh, kind of reduce energy and leave the concentration there and the balance, or you can Rev up, concentration, and uh, you bring some balance. That's why walking meditation is very important. Walking meditation is very important. And other posture which is very important in restlessness is lying down meditation. Because when you lie down, you use less energy. So that's why Buddha taught the posture of lying down, maybe not in a meditation hall, but when you, you have a lot of restlessness, you get a session whereby you go to your room and just meditate while lying down. It's so helpful to overcome restlessness. Of course, uh, you should know the impermanent nature of restlessness, its unsatisfactory nature, and its selfless nature, and not clinging on to, oh, this my life is going to be all restless, you know. No, don't cling on to it. Uh, just let go worry about omission and commission. Sometimes we do unskillful things and we get worried. Sometimes we leave out something wholesome and we get worried. Especially if you have a yogi job and forget to do it. I'm telling you. One time I think I overslept and, and I didn't ring a bell. Wow, this is good to do but I didn't do it really feel so worried about something good that he didn't do. That's very common also, and that that can feed into what you call sloth or restlessness and worry. Yes, yeah, but you have to really know, uh, learn uh, how to amend. You know, you admit what you've you've done wrong, then determine not to do the same thing again, and amend according to dharma. Rectify. in other words, you can say sorry, I didn't, do, I didn't mean to do this. And uh, you, you sort out your worry, you know. So this can happen. And lastly, is called doubt. That's our last one, called doubt. I was even doubting whether I'm going to finish this talk. <laughs> the hindrance talk is the most time-consuming talk. <laughs> uh, doubt wichikicha in Pali, which means this difficult to cure, something difficult to cure. Is very common in our meditation. We don't know what we want. We don't know what we want. Self-doubt. We doubt the training. We doubt instructions. This is also something very common in meditation. But you will be very happy to know that this one, you can overcome it when you attain the first level of enlightenment. The first level of enlightenment, it, you can overcome doubt and never to come. But before that, it will keep, come it will keep on coming as a hindrance. At this time, the cause is unwise attention to what's skillful and unskillful. So we don't know whether we are doing it right or wrong. We get confused. Hmm? <laughs> I remember one time, Somebody was driving me and found the kind of the two roads like this. One time, took this one and found out it's wrong. And then took this one and found it's wrong. And then it was in the middle and it nearly overturned the car. Really not decided. Ever since then, I learned about these hindrances. Just pick one of them and go. <laughs> just pick one. If it's meta, just go with meta. If it's vipassana, go with vipassana. If it's choiceless awareness, just go with it. And later on, once you find out it's not going anywhere, you just come back slowly by slowly, you know. Other than being in the middle there, you are not going anywhere. It's like a roaring chair. It's called rocking chair. You know a rocking chair? <laughs> you seem to be doing something, <laughs> but you're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> These chairs are very common, actually, in Uganda. Yes, we, we call it muamia koi, means somebody's tired. You know, sit there and just keep on rocking is not a good idea. Just pick something, and at least do something. <laughs> Here's a good news. Here's a good news. According to Buddha's teaching, some of the techniques, if not all of them, are skillful means, and the teaching is amazing. Once you hold on the teaching, and you get, you practice a certain teaching, it leads into the other one. In other words, even when you practice these five hindrances, the way at least Buddha gave them, knowing the presence and the absence, the, the proper attitude and the conditionality nature, the impermanence and satisfactory nature and selfless nature, and not clinging on to anything. In, as I told you, you don't have copyrights to anything, you know. As, 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 maybe books, but not these kind of things, like mind states, no copyrights, you know. Just don't cling on to them. If you practice that way, again the Buddha saying, you attain enlightenment also. So you can see, don't worry, you know. <laughs> you practice metta. Where is metta in the teachings? We find it in the Noble Eightfold Path, which is the second path, right intention, right thoughts. If you practice the Noble Eightfold Path, You continue on to the path to enlightenment, you know? So the key is getting lost. Okay, maybe uh, five seconds, meta. Another five seconds, compassion. Another five, modita. Another five, equanimity. Maybe a little bit of concentration. Then we get so much stuck. We are not going anywhere. So I encourage you to trust your experience. Have faith and confidence in what you're doing. And try to be in a present moment. Because doubt can only happen when you are lost in the past, past and future. But what's when you are in a present moment? There's no doubt. There's no doubt when you are in a present moment, it's about getting lost in the past and the future. So doubt, of course, read more books. That's why we have teachers to sort out this, uh, your doubt. We have interviews. Uh, that's how to overcome doubt. But also the methods I've told you uh, already, I, I told you the presence and absence and attitude, all those things work very, very well. But the, the more you listen to Dhamma talks the, and instructions and go to the teacher, all those are methods actually to, over, to, to help you overcome doubt. Winnie's Win wonderful talk yesterday about investigation. All these kind of things is once you investigate, then you overcome doubt. And that's why the whole setup here, teachers giving dharma talks, instructions, interviews, are uh, all those methods how to, over, to clear your doubt. Thank you very much, Felicity. <laughs> <laughs> I'll finish this talk exactly at 8.30 which is good for hindrance talk. Thank you very much. Let us sit for a moment. The arising of the hindrance is beyond our control, but mindfulness and wisdom can make a difference between getting caught up in hindrance and being free from bondage. cycle your hindrance until you attend Nibana. Thank you very much for listening and your attention and I offer this for your reflection. Okay, I'll be